Hello, you're listening to the CrossFit Lady podcast, a podcast for women over 50 who are interested in staying active in this sport through menopause and beyond. I'm Lita Peterson, host of the show and just your regular mom and average CrossFitter who's passionate about all the good that comes from this sport. My mission is to encourage us older female athletes to train smart by discussing relevant topics and featuring interviews with people we can learn from. Thank you for being here. And now on with the show. Hello, wonderful ladies. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season and happy new year to all of you. You may have noticed that this episode is a week late and that's because of the holidays, but no worries. You're getting this episode this week and another episode next week so we can get back to our regular schedule. So in my household, we celebrate Christmas and we had a wonderful time. Um, I had the opportunity to meet up with family and friends that I don't get to see very often. So um, that was wonderful. Uh, We also took a trip to Dollywood in Tennessee to actually get together with um, some of this family. And this was my first time there. And um, if you don't know what Dollywood is, it's an amusement park created by the iconic beautiful singer, Dolly Parton. And it was really fun. I swore that I wasn't going to ride any roller coasters, but my sister peer pressured me into riding a couple of them. And I'm going to post a funny picture on the Instagram for the show to show you my general expression of what I look like on these kinds of rides. In one word, terrified. My eyes are closed. I'm always screaming my head off and I'm white knuckling the handlebars the entire way. But um, it was a lot of fun, and I I really did enjoy myself. We also ate a lot of terrible food. Not terrible in that they tasted badly, but just that they weren't healthy in the least bit. (laughs) Um, For instance, in Dollywood, they make this famous cinnamon bread that you can watch them make. And what they do is they take an entire bread dough, they submerge it into a vat of like sumptuous butter, and then roll it into another vat of cinnamon sugar and then bake it. The line for this bread, as you can imagine, is huge. It's a well-known treat in Dollywood. So once you get your hands on this loaf, which is still warm from the oven, by the way, and it smells so good, you know, cinnamon and sugar, you can't go wrong there, right? You take it and you eat it right then and there. There's people that grab it, they go to a table and they just start chowing down on this thing. Talk about delicious. But let's just say treats like this have opened up the gate to one of my many monsters. In this case, the sugar monster that lives inside me. You know the one. It's the one that once you start feeding it, it's so hard to tame. But believe me, I'm going to be taming it. I have to because this could be, this could get dangerous. (laughs) Um, But that's what I love about the end of the holiday season and the start of the new year. It's taking a reset. It's a great time to get back on the healthy train and most of all to reflect on things that went well this past year and and set a new direction for the coming year. So on that vein, I wanted to bring you my review on the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. I hope that this episode will spark action that you can take to create new positive habits or break old ones. If you have a moment, I'd love to find out what habits you're thinking about conquering this year and how you might go about doing so. All right, let's get into it. 
Hey, everybody. I'm so happy to be reviewing the book Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes and Remarkable Results by James Clear. This is a fantastic book to start our off our new year because I know that many of us are going to be thinking about some goals for the next year, maybe trying to create some new positive habits and or maybe trying to break old ones. So this is a great book to uh, get us on our way. I think James Clear does a really good job of getting into the nitty gritty of why we have the habits that we do and really laying out a very, um, I think, methodical and very commonsensical approach to building new habits and breaking old ones. So let's get into it. All right. So this book is about making small, tiny improvements in everything that you do. James Clear writes about the strategy called the aggregation of marginal gains. So it's about making 1% improvements in everything or in something that you want to change. So that's the term atomic, referencing the atom, which is small but super powerful. He explains that many people believe that massive success comes from massive action and have the tendency to underestimate the importance of small improvements over time. Uh, when I read this, I really it takes me back. A lot of this book kind of took me back to my weight loss journey. So I hope you don't mind that I, I bring that up because that was a massive change that occurred in my life, not just the losing of the weight, but just the the whole fitness journey. So with this in mind, um, you know, I know that that oftentimes we in the media, social media, we see these 90 day transformations, 60 day transformations. And while those are super impressive, um, you know, my transformation took 10 years. And, um, and so it wasn't a massive action. I know that the massive action sometimes that that we see that does offer results is impressive, but we can't underestimate the um, the small incremental changes that ultimately lead to a big transformation in the long run, and and I so I think that's what I what made me think of that that you know my weight loss journey is ten years in the making and is still going on, so um, I think about that because um, you know it's not always a quick transformation uh, for everyone. All right, so he says, the result of making small changes is that over time, their accumulation will yield the, res- the, the desired results. However, because these changes are so small and their effects are at a time uh, sometimes unnoticeable and slow and yielding results, we tend to give up and fall back into our old routines, right? And that sounds familiar. We, we start off with like trying to create a habit but you know again with losing weight you know it's it's hard sometimes you don't see that weight coming off and after a time you kind of throw your hands up and say oh forget it you know i'm going to i'm going to try again another time and 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 you've kind of fall off the wagon so um or you might be successful for a time and you see a weight loss plateau where you know you you see weight come off initially and then it you just stagnate and then you get frustrated with yourself and then you think, well, something's not working and then you just give up. The same is true for strength gains. You know, um, we might be, when you first start CrossFit, it's so easy. I don't want to say easy, but I want to say that it's it's common to see strength gains because this is a new sport for you. Um, you're building a lot of skills and so you, you PR 
quite frequently. But as you get into it for a few years and, and also as we age, those PRs aren't coming, um, uh, you know, as frequently anymore. And we're, you know, and, and especially as us older women are, uh, you know, uh, in that you know, middle age transition where strength is something that we have to work really hard at, you know, we have this plateau of strength and that we feel frustrated. And sometimes we might want to say, ah, forget it. What's the point of trying to um, strength train? You know, what's the point of continuing with CrossFit? And so, um, but we don't realize that we are continuing to build, that we are continuing, you know, by being consistent we are um, we are on the right path. It's very hard to see those small, minuscule changes that are happening in the in our body, especially when we don't see the results quite as clearly as we used to, or as we want to. So, James Clear asks us to reframe our thinking so that we're not overly concerned with results, but rather whether our habits are leading us to the path to success. He also calls on us to reflect on our current habits and whether or not they are leading us to or from our desired outcome. So one of his examples is if you have a surplus of money, but you continually overspend, then you're on a bad trajectory. Whereas if you're saving money each month, then you're on a path of financial freedom. So really depending on where you want to go, your um, your habits should be leading you towards that path, not away from them, right? Pretty common sense. Progress is slow until you reach a breakthrough. We need to be patient during this phase that he calls the plateau of latent potential, which at some point will lead to a breakthrough where you finally see success. Again, with weight loss, I noticed that when I started losing weight, no one really noticed when the first 10 to 15 pounds came off. You know, um, I I kind of noticed, but, you know, nobody paid any attention to that. Um, they couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden, you kind of hit that point where all of a sudden there's a, a big, you know, drop in weight or whatever. And then people say, oh, what have you done? It looks like you've lost some weight, whatever. So that I would consider that breakthrough moment there. Um, so, you know, it's that phase of what he's calling the the phase of plateau of latent potential where you um you know you don't see a whole lot of change until there's that breakthrough moment all right he also says um to forget about goals and to focus on systems instead he goes on to say that goals set a direction but systems build progress to achieving those goals also, the achievement of the goal is momentary where systems can last well beyond the goal. So um, I do like that. I, I mean, initially when I read that to forget about goals and focus on systems, I thought, wait a minute, we need goals. And he, so he doesn't, he later goes on to say, yes, you do need goals, but they're setting a direction. But really, whether you, or not you achieve those goals is based on the systems that you create to achieve them, All right. He says that a lot of people say, quote, when I achieve this, whatever that may be, then I'll be happy. He says that you should find happiness in the system or process rather than the end product. So you don't have to wait for happiness. And how many of you have heard this? I know I've heard this a ton. You know, people say, you know, when I, you know, 
lose this much weight, I'll be happy. When I, um, you, you know, uh, make this amount of money, I'll be happy. When I do X, it, and so like you're, you're holding back on being quote unquote happy until something happens, and and really it it shouldn't work that way. You're almost punishing yourself at the at the forefront at the beginning. Um, so he says, you know, really putting a system in place to where you're satisfied with that system or that process along the way and get satisfaction from that, as opposed to waiting for that final goal to be, to be met. He says, um, this is true for fitness, especially for longevity, finding happiness and being able to move and to try new things versus just finding happiness in PRs, right? If all we ever did was feel happy when we reached a PR, well, boy, I'd be plenty sad because those don't come very often for me. But I can feel excited about going into the box to try something new and um, and just being consistent. If I feel like in a month's time I've been there you know, at least 20 plus days, then, hey, that's that's a win. And that makes me feel very happy for myself. All right. One of the main things of this book is that you need to build a system to change habits. He says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Let me say that to you again. This is his quote. He says, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. So how do we change our systems? So first of all, we start with changing habits based on our identity. In other words, who we wish to be, because true behavior change is identity change. So for example, if you identify as a voter, you are more likely to vote. Furthermore, if you want to become a non-smoker, part of the process will be identifying as a non-smoker, which will involve you saying, sorry, I don't smoke when someone offers you a cigarette. Clear goes on to say that it's so easy to accept the stories that we've told ourselves for ages as facts. Stories like, I'm bad at math, or I'm bad at with directions, etc. And that these can become barriers to change. So one of my stories that I, is that I tell myself, and um, I caught myself saying this to someone not too long ago, is that I'm not coordinated, and that I have no rhythm, which is why I suck at gymnastics. Okay, so this is... <laughs> My own personal theory, there's, I haven't done any research to this, but again, I, I, I tell myself, I have told myself, continue to tell myself, and I just shared it with somebody. I said, ah, you know, the reason I'm not getting my double unders is because I'm really, I have no rhythm and I'm really uncoordinated. All right. So this is a story that's perpetuating in my head. Um, I can recognize how this line of thinking is limiting my potential. I really do. Um, it's just keeping me from from practicing, from even picking up that rope and just getting that practice in because I already have it in my head that I'm not going to be good at it. But maybe, how about this? Maybe if I've practiced my double unders for, let's say, a thousand hours, I can make a clearer statement about my potential, right? If I were to put in those hours, um, I can actually make a more accurate uh, statement about whether or not I am capable, right? But if I were to gamble... I would probably say that I would actually get them or per, or come pretty darn close to them, right? So um, that's an example of we're buying into these stories we're telling ourselves and really limiting ourselves from the outset. Um, so, you know, once again, behavior change starts with identity change. We have to change from the inside um, out. 
So he goes on to say that we embody our identity. That is to say that the more we repeat a behavior, the more we reinforce the identity associated with that behavior. What's amazing is that as we make these changes, the change that changes from the inside, we start to believe in ourselves and in our new identity. We begin to trust ourselves. Trust. Let's that, let that sink in for a minute. We need to trust ourselves, right? Instead of um, you know, coming up with, let's say we, we, we set aside some goals for the year, but we don't build these systems and we fail at those goals. We lose trust in ourselves. We, we begin to believe that we can't achieve what we lay out for ourselves. But by doing this stepwise approach and, and having these smaller wins, we begin to trust in ourselves, which is wonderful. So um, with every positive habit that we build, we build trust within ourselves. So fundamentally, Claire says that changing who we are is a two-step process. One, it's deciding who we want to be. And two, proving it to ourselves with small wins. He goes on to talk about the science of behavior change, which is extremely interesting. Um, I won't get into it, but it's a really great chapter. He lays out the four chapters of behavior change, which are the cue. So there's something that cues that behavior, the craving, the response, and reward. Those are the four laws of behavior change. Cue, craving, response, and reward. And he talks about how these laws, how to use these laws to create positive habits and or break bad habits. In this next section, he goes into a deep dive into each law In each section, he lays out ways to build new habits. The principal method is something he calls habit stacking, which is where you pair a new habit in with habits you currently have. So it follows this example, quote, after I blank, whatever that is, I will blank. So as an example, after I have my morning coffee, I will take my vitamins, Okay, so you see how you have a morning habit of having coffee and you pair your new habit with that habit. So the new habit might be taking vitamins. So after I have my morning coffee, I will have my vitamins. So that is an example of habit stacking. Furthermore, he says that after mastering this basic structure, then you can chain small habits together. So this would go something like this. After I have my morning coffee, I will take my vitamins. After I take my vitamins, I will meditate for 60 seconds, right? So now we've added the meditation to that. Clear also talks about not relying on motivation. We all know by now, or should know by now, that motivation is fleeting, right? There are plenty of times where we don't feel like doing the thing, whatever it is. So he says that you should manipulate your environment to help you in that process. So in other words, create cues for your good habits and make them very obvious in your environment. So from my previous example, perhaps you can store your vitamins next to your coffee in that cabinet so that they're easy to grab, right? It makes it very accessible. It keeps you from forgetting to take the vitamins if they're right there at your grasp. Conversely, he says that the secret to self-control, if you want to break a bad habit, So the secret to self-control is to minimize exposure to triggers for negative habits. We may always be tempted to return to old habits that have created these deep grooves in our behavior patterns. 
So we need to reduce our exposure to them. So for instance, if we know, if I know I cannot control myself around cupcakes, I just won't buy them, right? Or I will put them in the refrigerator in the garage. So this is funny. We have a garage refrigerator where we mainly store um, drinks, um, maybe like we have a lot of frozen pizzas or frozen foods or whatever. Anyway, we use that garage refrigerator to store that kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, the fact that it's out there, I just never go out there. And this is bad because sometimes I actually put good stuff that I could be eating during the week and then I completely forget that that stuff is there, um, which is really bad on my part. But anyway, if, if I'm struggling with something, I could put it out in that garage refrigerator and it just takes that, um, it takes it out of my, my line of sight, takes it out of my consciousness and I can um, stay away from it. So uh, that would be an example, getting rid of those triggers to keep you away from that behavior. Next, Clear talks about making positive habits attractive by building anticipation of rewards. So for instance, after I drink my coffee, I will take my vitamins. After I take my vitamins, I will check my social media, right? So social media gives us that dopamine hit, right? When we scroll, when we get into our Instagrams, where we read our messages from friends, you know, we, we, something lights up in our brains, you know, it's that little dopamine effect, um, and, uh, and so that is like a quick reward that you can give yourself um, as part of your morning ritual, right? So you can think about what that would be for you. Clear also talks about the role of your culture and your tribe to keep you accountable with behavior change. Crowd support can go both ways, it, negatively or positively. It's important really to stick with people who will reinforce your positive results. So if you are trying to quit drinking, obviously you're going to try to get, um, you know, try to get away from going to bars or to like meeting up with friends who's, who, who are not in that same headspace, who really want to continue to go out drinking, um, you know, uh, on the weekends, et cetera. So really the, the people that you keep company with are going to support your goals or they're going to go against your goals and you need to, um, you need to sort that out. So how long does it take for a new habit to form? So Clear states that it's all about repetition. It's more than um, not a time-driven thing. It's more about the frequency that we, um, that we give a habit. So to increase that frequency, you need to make that new habit super easy. So in an effort to explain how to make habits easier, he goes on about the law of least effort. Essentially, he explains that we will gravitate towards that which is easiest to do or where there is the least friction. Conversely, if you add friction to negative habits, it will help us avoid them. So for example, an example that I I think about this is uh, when I go grocery shopping, I bring my veggies in, I usually will cut them up. I just cut up peppers last night. Um, I have my spring mix and but, and I um, have some uh, uh, green beans that I've already washed and prepped. What's great about doing that is that it's so easy for me to add veggies to any meal. So literally, I go in my fridge and I just grab a handful and I plop it on my plate and it's like that easy. I know that they're washed, they're cut up the way I like them, they're ready, and I've just added another handful of veggies to, to basically whatever it is I'm eating. 
um, that is making it easy. It's easy for me to then be able to um, eat healthier that way. I also put them front and center in my fridge so they're not lost in the cabinets because again, I don't know what it is about me. I'm just not looking, <laughs> not, not wanting to look, take that extra step to open those those veggie crisper um, uh, drawers. Anyhow, front and center. So that's an example of, of the law of least effort, making it super easy for those uh, positive habits. And Or if you're trying to break a bad habit, making it a little bit harder to engage in those. For procrastinators out there, and trust me, I have a few in my immediate family, um, he talks about starting small with a two-minute rule. So basically, he says your new habit should take no more than two minutes to do. This is, quote-unquote, what he calls a gateway habit that can lead to bigger ones. So for instance, if you um, eventually would like to get out and run a 5K, um, but you're nowhere near there, you're, you've, you've been sedentary, you, that's not something that you've been doing, maybe your very small two-minute habit to get you going, this is your gateway habit, is just putting on your running shoes, right? You put on your running shoes um, and then you go about your business, but you're, you're, you're intentionally putting these running shoes on with the intention of some, you know, getting out there. Then after some time, you um, put your running shoes on and then you can go out for your 10 minute walk. And after your 10 minutes of walking, then you're walking your 10 steps. And after you're walking your 10 steps for a while, then you're running your 5k. So you see, he's saying that it all starts, however, with that very small two minute um, habit, which is possibly just putting on your your running shoes. Um, it's that simple. And discussing the fourth and final law, Clear says that you have to make new habits satisfying. He he really uh, emphasizes rewarding yourself. He writes that the cardinal rule of behavior change is this: quote What is immediately rewarded is repeated. What is immediately punished is avoided. And that makes sense, right? So just make sure your rewards align with your desired trajectory. So if your habit is to eat healthier, then ice cream is not a good reward, obviously. But rewards can be anything that you enjoy that will be easy for you to do them in the short term. So um, that can add a lot of fun, right? I mean, and I think that's another thing is that as we are building new habits, I mean, we can sometimes feel stuck like, oh, you know, um, it's not always... um, you know, there's some thought intentionality behind creating a new habit. And so creating these rewards kind of not only um, it builds that anticipation, but it builds a little bit of fun. I mean, we should be able to have fun. Um, And and again, having fun and enjoying the process is really what it's all about, right? Going back to what he states initially, that we should be enjoying the systems and the process as opposed to just focusing on the desired results. Finally, Clear talks about the importance of habit tracking and states that tracking is essential for seeing the progress you're making. Also, he talks about the importance of never missing twice. If you fail to do your new habit one day, get back to it the next day. So this is super important. I know that tracking can be tedious. Uh, I know personally that when I've had to track calories, track macros or whatever, it's not something I super enjoy. However, it is extremely important, um, especially when you're when you're uh, starting a new habit that requires um, 
I guess a little bit more work uh, and I would put weight loss in, in this because you know you really are um thinking about calories in calories out how important it is to track your progress and and make sure that you're eating what you're supposed to be doing but you can do this also with workouts if you want to track how many times you're going into the gym or um or tracking you know if if um your your performance on different uh workouts it it is important it gives you it's it's also satisfying because you're able to see your progress and i think this is why it's so important you can see your progress um and that can uplift you and really motivate you to continue um and and i like what he says if you fail to do it one day just don't let it don't let it become another day right like if you we're all going to have those moments when we're um you know, something happens, you know, life gets in the way and you've, you've eaten, you know, two slices of pizza all day and, um, the, you know, and and you didn't work out and, you know, just everything fell off (laughs) and, you know, that's okay. That's life. It happens, but just pick yourself right up and go at it the next day get back to, get back to a square one the, the next day and, um, and, and move on. The last part of the book goes into more advanced tactics, and he has links to additional chapters on how to apply these principles to business and parenting, which are really interesting. So I just want to make this plug that if you purchase the book, um, which I did, it gives you access to go to the Atomic Habits website. And, and if you confirm that you've purchased the book, it will then give you access to templates that he mentions throughout the book. So the book... Um, you know, shows you these, these templates and you can write them out, out, I suppose, but it's so nice to like be able to download them from his website. Um, if this book and his approach of building new habits appeals to you, I would definitely recommend buying the book and then accessing this extra content. I think it's really, really helpful. Okay, my wonderful ladies, I hope this review will encourage you to think about making positive changes in your life. James Clear has a very well thought out approach to all of this. But as they say, there are many ways to skin the cat. Use your common sense, use your strength and your wisdom. You should do just fine. On that note, take good care of yourselves and I'll talk to you soon. If you enjoy this podcast, please support it with a good review and by sharing it with others. Our community is growing and I'd love to continue that trend. Your subscription to the show, your time in listening to the episodes, and your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Remember that you can reach out to me on Instagram at cfladypodcast or by email at crossfitladypodcast at gmail.com.